to give you a little bit of introduction here. Uh, we're about to break into a new section of 2 Timothy. Chap we're going to be, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to look at only the first two verses. But like I say, we got, we're breaking into a new section that's going to go into the middle of chapter 3. Uh, and I need to introduce that. We're changing gears here. Uh, so if you don't mind, I'll read our couple of verses. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll get to looking at it. It says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for preserving and protecting all of us. You've promised to do so. We shouldn't expect any less. And yet we always seem surprised and we stand in awe at your ability to hold this whole world together and to protect every one of your saints. We thank you for it. We do ask that you'll guide us through your word here today. Make it just as clear as possible. Show us just what you'd have for us. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. So as I say, we're about to break into a new section in 2 Timothy. And if I were to uh, give a title for today's lesson, we're looking at the relay of truth. Because that's really what we're in, right? We're in a relay race. Uh, we pick it up. We pass it along. The things that we pick up in our Christian faith, we're supposed to pass along to somebody else. But as I say, we're, we're breaking into a new section. Chapter 1, as you'll recall, was basically Paul giving a friendly but a purposeful introduction to Timothy. He introduced the book. That's what chapter 1 is. You introduce the book. Paul, this is what I'm going to talk to you, Timothy, about. And there were some great statements that we looked at. But much of it was information that Paul had gone over before with Timothy anyway. A lot of it we'd already gone over in 1 Timothy. Uh, we saw him discuss the work of the Holy Spirit in verse 7. We saw him discuss the ministry of Jesus and God's power through it in verse 8. We saw God's calling uh, and His grace that's offered through Christ in verse 9. Verse 10, we saw Christ's work of destroying death uh, and generating light through the gospel. I'm not going to read all those verses all over again. Those were all things. If you go ahead and read chapter 1 again, you'll see all these topics that he hit on. And there were many other tr truths that were covered. You don't need me to cover every single one of them in detail right now. I'm just refreshing you. We know from reading all of Paul's other letters that that's kind of typical of Paul's writing anyway. First chapter, this is, these are the points we're going to cover. Uh, and he just reminds us of great biblical truth. Paul likes to load his instructions up with rich theological truths that he doesn't bother to, he just mentions them in passing. He doesn't bother to explain them in the first chapter. Uh, Paul likes to point out you see that especially in the book of Romans and the book of Ephesians. Paul likes to point out the things that God has done to enable the ministry which he and Timothy have to prosper. God has done it, and their ministry profits, prospers as a result. This is especially important since Paul is about to die, and Timothy is going to have to lead in this ministry from here on out. Paul, I'm about to exit stage left. Timothy, you're going to have to take over 
from this point on. And remember, the same God that's guided me is going to guide you, Timothy. So today we're going to see Paul move on to application of the truths that Timothy already knows. As well as we're going to see we're going to begin to see an appeal for him to act on the knowledge that he already has. He's not, Paul's not teaching anything new. Uh, and that's pretty much true throughout the book of 2 Timothy. Paul's not in the goal of teaching new, new information here, just reminding. Timothy, you're about to take over here. Remember all this stuff? And this section, I said that this section's going to go on till uh, middle of chapter 3. It's really, if you want to say so, it goes right to chapter 3 and verse 9. I would encourage you this afternoon, read chapter 2 down to chapter 3, verse 9, to get a overview of the next section that we're going to be looking at in Timothy. Uh, it's very similar to, and I encourage you to compare it if you really want extra points, compare it to Romans chapter 12 to 15 and Ephesians chapters 4 to 6. It's a very similar sort of dialogue. If you look at all three of those passages, that's what Paul did that same sort of thing for his readers there as well. I'm not, I don't have time to go over all of that. We've got a lot of ground to cover today. Now, you may recall, way back at the beginning of uh, 2 Timothy, you probably don't because I'd forgotten it myself, uh, that I said that there were 33 commands in 2 Timothy. 33 commands in the book. We saw three in the first chapter. We've only looked at three so far, so how many does that leave? 30. Good. We're going to look at 14 more of them before we get out of this section. So before we get to chapter 3, verse 9, we're going to see half of the commands in the book right there. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul's just going to stand there like a drill sergeant. Timothy, do this, do that, do this, do that. Step and fetch. Timothy, no. That's not really what he's going to do. Uh, he's also going to give us a lot of theological truths, and he's, but he's going to tie them to the commands that he's giving. You see, Timothy, do this, and this is why. Timothy, do that, and this is why. So that's how we're going to look at this next section that we're looking at. Again, I encourage you this afternoon, read chapter 2 down to 3, verse 9, so you get an overview and look for these things that I'm describing here. And we've seen that a lot with Paul. One of the trademarks of Paul is he always, always, always ties a command back to a theological truth. Paul does not never, not one time, does Paul just arbitrarily bark an order for no reason at all. And by the way, that's the way we all ought to be as church leaders. We ought to, we ought to demonstrate to people how the actions that we are recommending, that's a command, tie back to their daily lives and ought to influence practical behavior. If you hear somebody that just, you ought to, you ought to, you ought to, and not tie that back, you ought to question that. In this next section, we're going to see a much heavier emphasis on what Timothy ought to be doing. More so than what we've seen so far. More so even than we saw in uh, 1 Timothy. I'll argue that that's because Paul knows that he's about to die. So there's a little more focus on all right, we really got to pick the stick up here, Timothy. 
See, Paul's about to move beyond simply telling Timothy to buck up. Like, that's been the, that was basically the focus of chapter 1. Uh, Timothy, stop crying. We actually saw that. I, I remember your tears, Timothy. Timothy, wipe the tears away. It's time to get moving here. Buck up. Sh- show a little backbone here. That's what we've seen in chapter 1. Now we're moving beyond that. Another thing that we're going to see Paul highlight in this section is the challenges that Timothy and the churches of Ephesus, remember there wasn't a one first Baptist church of Ephesus, there were multiple small house churches in Ephesus, and they were facing threats from false teachers and their deceptive doctrines. We talked about that throughout chapter 1. I don't need to go over that anymore. But we're going to see that this is very timely advice as well, because Paul has seen the false teaching here in Ephesus before, and they are about to face a a different round, a slightly different, if you read through the book of Acts, you see Paul's ministry in Ephesus, there was false teaching there at first, they're about to see a different genre of false teaching. Now, there's a different round. Did you know that false teaching is always just making its cycles? The false teach, the agnostic false teaching that uh, Timothy was describing here, in sec, uh, Paul's describing in 2 Timothy, is essentially what the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are trying to teach to us today. It's the same thing, different paint job. They call it something different, but it's the same false teaching makes around. Uh, anyway, in 1 Timothy, we saw Paul describing what that false teaching looked like, right? These false teachers, this is what they look like. They do this, they do that, do they do this. Here, we're going to see him move beyond that to show Timothy what you can do about it. We already know what they look like. Now how are you going to stop it, Timothy? It's a little more practical, see. Uh, Now that he recognizes it, here's what you do. And we're going to see Paul show Timothy some potential pitfalls that he needs to watch out for. While you're trying to defend against this, here's little places where they're going to try and trap you. Uh, Tactics. He's going to go over some tactics to ensure that the churches learn to grow and to flourish in the face of false teaching. See, Paul's concerned because he knows he's about to leave the scene. And we all know what happens when a church leader often leaves the scene, right? When a church leader dies or leaves, a church is often left in ruins, isn't it? And that's wrong. That's not the way it ought to be. We've all seen examples of it. We can all point out examples of that happening. Paul wants to make sure that doesn't happen at Ephesus. Paul knows he's about to die, and he doesn't want to see the church at Ephesus just crumble and blow away. So, that was all introduction. Now it's time to get to our study today. Let's read verse 1 again. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul starts this section right off with thou, right? Simple word, thou. And by the way, That's one of the things that I love about the King James Bible. There's a few things, you and you've heard me, hey, I really don't like how they did this. This is one of the things that I really like about the King James Bible. We know right off the bat that Paul is speaking in the second person singular. You, Timothy. Not you, Church of Ephesus. You, Timothy. Second person singular. Now, modern English has a hard time with that. Now, in New York, they say use for singular, 
and use guys for plural, right? So that, that's, they do that so that you can distinguish. Use means use specifically. Use guys is everybody in the room. Down south they say y'all for singular. And they say all y'all for everybody in the room. But uh, amongst civilized folks, those distinctions are largely non, non-existent. But seriously, uh, Paul very rarely singles one person out for a command in his letters, ever. Even in personal letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Philemon, uh, and Titus are his personal letters. And Paul almost never singles one person out, even in those. He only does it uh, six times in the letters to Timothy and, second, and Titus. And only one other time in all of his writings, and that's Romans chapter 14, verse 10. I don't, I'm not going to look it up right now. And at that time, it's a rhetorical question. So when Paul points his finger at Timothy and says, Timothy, he's making a very strong and a very solemn point because this is something Paul never, ever does. Paul wants Timothy to realize the gravity of what he's saying here. Thou, Timothy, thou therefore pay attention to what I'm about to say. See, Timothy's going to have to steel himself up to the task that's ahead, isn't he? Paul's about to leave the scene. Timothy's about to take over. The church, it's not like the church is going along, everything's hunky-dory. They're facing some problems. There's wolves at the door. We got to... This isn't going to be easy. So Paul calls for, Thou therefore, Timothy, my son, be strong. Be strong. Now that's a form of the Greek word uh, endenimu. Endenimu. Now it's a compound word. Uh, it shows up seven times in the New Testament. We can, let's break that compound word down, right? End. We think of endo. Right? Means inside. Bugs have exoskeletons. There's skeletons on the outside. Endo, I have an endoskeleton. It's on the inside. You can't see it. I'm squishy on the outside and I'm hard on the inside. Bugs are hard on the outside and squishy on the inside. Uh, Dynamo from dunamis. We think of that as power. So when Paul says be strong, endinamu, what is he saying? You've got to have power on the inside, Timothy. Power on the inside. Now, as I say, that only shows up seven times in the New Testament. And Paul uses it more than anyone else. Four times, Paul uses it to refer to strength that he personally has received from God. We see it used that way, and I was going to look these up, but we're running short on time. Acts 9, verse 22 Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me, endenimu, power on the inside. 1 Timothy 1.12, we saw it. Uh, and we're going to see it again in 2 Timothy 4.17. Let's actually look at that one, because it's in context with what we're talking about today. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.17, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, endenimu, me that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. God strengthened him on the inside. Romans chapter 4 and verse 20, we see Paul use it to describe how God built up Abraham, strengthened Abraham. 
so that he could bear seed when he was beyond the age. Uh, again, we'll see it in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, where uh, he tells the Ephesians to be strong in the Lord, in denimu with the Lord, and in the power of his might. See, God has a tremendous power, doesn't he? Good. God has tremendous power, and God is not stingy to share that power with those who ask. Paul knows firsthand the power of God working in his life through many impossible situations. And that same God will work in Timothy as well. And that confidence ought to give Timothy the backbone that he needs. Remember, Paul's trying to, Timothy, you're going to need to show some backbone here. That wasn't Timothy's nature. I think Timothy was kind of a cowardly, kind of a, soft-spoken guy, kind of like I think Joshua was. We taught through the book of Joshua a long, 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 long time ago, and I believe Joshua was kind of a little bit more laid-back, kind of quiet, soft-spoken guy. That's why God had to keep reminding him, be strong and of good courage. So how does God distribute this strength to those folks who follow him? We've already said our God is a powerful God. He's a mighty God. He's not stingy with the strength that he passes out. So how does God distribute that strength to people who want to follow him? That's right. Somebody said it. The grace that is in Christ Jesus. Bottom half of the verse. Now we see similar language in other places in the New Testament too, don't we? But this exact phrase, the grace that is in Christ Jesus, in the Greek, is only found here. This is the only time Paul ever says this particular phrase. I find that very interesting. But do you have any idea how many gifts God gives us by the grace that's in Christ Jesus? God gives us a lot of gifts through the grace that's in Christ Jesus, doesn't he? I haven't bothered to study all that out. By the way, that would be a great study for you to do on your own. I'd love it if one of you would do it and teach it to me. Because after all, that's what we're supposed to do here, isn't it? It's not supposed to be me pontificating to you, all y'all. It's supposed to be all of us working together to build each other up. So if somebody wants to take the stick on that, look at all the gifts that God gives us by the grace of Christ Jesus, and I'd be happy to sit right back there and listen. So, moving along from that... uh, How exactly can God's grace in Christ Jesus strengthen Timothy? Or us, for that matter, if we're on the topic. Well, we know that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul writes that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, right? So God's grace, which comes available through a personal relationship in Christ Jesus, is how God's saving power comes, isn't it? So no matter what Timothy might need to face the challenges ahead, grace is going to be the answer. Grace is going to be the answer. No matter what the obstacle is, grace is going to be the answer. See, Paul wraps so many of God's resources up in this package that he refers to as grace. That's why I say this is, uh, that would be a great side study for somebody to do. God's grace comes to his aid Paul's, Timothy's, yours and mine, and helps through so many difficulties, and that's what makes Paul's ministry effective. 
That's what's going to make Timothy's ministry effective, and that's what makes our ministry effective as well. Now, one thing I know for sure, Paul's recommending Timothy to tap into a power source that far exceeds what human flesh and blood can do. It doesn't matter if it's Paul. It doesn't matter if it's Timothy. It's more than Paul can do, more than Timothy can do. Heck, it's more than Paul and Timothy working together can do. See, God's power is so vastly superior that it can't even be compared to anything you and I can do. Even if we're all working together, which we don't do, do we? We really don't. But even if we did, God's power is the only real power in this universe. That kind of reminds me of what Paul asked. He asked a question, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me find it real quick. We don't all have to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul asks a question. He, he's, it's kind of a rhetorical question, and it's at the end of a long argument. He says, to the one, we're, we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other, the savor of life unto life. Talking about our Christian testimony. And who is sufficient for these things? That's the real question I want to focus on. Who is sufficient for these things? Paul's making it clear there that neither he nor Timothy is up to the task. He can't do it. Timothy can't do it. And if they weren't, if Paul wasn't up to the task, if Timothy wasn't up to the task, then I'm certainly not. And I'll wager you're not either. In fact... Just a few verses later, also in uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul goes to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5 where he says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. That's the next step in the logic train that Paul's doing. I'm not going to turn there. See, the only strength we really have comes from God and God alone. That's the only way we can do anything. Which brings us to verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Now in this book already, we've seen Paul in uh, chapter 1, verse 13, he said, Hold fast the form of sound, doc sound doc words that thou hast heard from me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That's what he said, chapter 1, verse 13. And now we're seeing him tell Timothy that in the light of the grace that is in Christ Jesus, end of the last verse, that Timothy is to remember Paul's words and impart them to faithful listeners and show them that they too can share that same message with others also. They need to transmit that message to other people. So let me ask you a question. What are the things that Timothy had heard from uh, Paul among many witnesses. What sort of things had Timothy heard from Paul among many witnesses? Well, certainly Paul's preaching. We see some of Paul's preaching that was recorded in the book of Acts. That could be included in this. But there's far more to ministry than simply preaching, isn't there? In fact, preaching is actually a really small part of ministry. Timothy had heard many things from Paul. In fact, Timothy had been hand-trained by Paul in many aspects of ministry. We've already seen, when we were going through chapter 1, I 
told you all the different places that Paul and Timothy had served together. This idea of passing along every part of our lives as we follow God is found throughout the Bible. Every part of our life, not just the preaching. Right now I'm passing along some preaching, if you want to refer to it that way. That's what I'm doing to you right now. And that's not it. That's not enough. We need to be passing on every part of our lives. Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about that, particularly around verse 4. That comes particularly to mind. Go ahead and read it yourself. Jesus' work is a fine example of it, too. Jesus did very little preaching that's recorded. I can, if I read all the Gospels together and read just the red letters where Jesus is preaching something, I can probably read it all in an hour and a little bit. Jesus did a whole lot more than just the preaching that's recorded, didn't he? Compared to his healings, his parables, and his object lessons, his preaching was pretty small. And think about this, too. Paul didn't just pass along samurai secrets to Timothy. Just, Timothy, by the way, here's, here's this little trick that's going to really break, make your ministry different than everybody else's. That's not how it worked. They worked with other folks as well, didn't they? People that we know, Paul and Timothy... I know a few places that Paul and Timothy definitely were working together because we can read about it in Acts. They worked in Ephesus, they worked in Corinth, they worked in some of those places. And I know for a fact that while they were at those places, they were, Luke was with them, Silas was with them, and Titus was with them all at the same time. It wasn't just Paul and Timothy. It was Paul and Luke and Silas and Timothy and Titus. They all worked together. See, our ministry is meant to be a team effort, isn't it? It's not supposed to be a one- or a two-man band. Now, notice that Paul isn't calling for Timothy to just speak about anything. Timothy's speech is to be in keeping with the doctrines that he's heard. I'm going to get a little bit uh, cultural right here. There's plenty of people in pulpits and churches right now doing what they call preaching, but all they're really doing is making analogies. They're addressing social issues, uh, maybe reading through a book with somebody, or talking about whatever happens to come to mind at the moment. We all know examples, right? I'm not going to get specific. Paul's calling Timothy to follow one of Jesus's most simple, most direct commands. Let's look at it. Uh, I was just refreshing myself on it this morning. Matthew chapter 28. I'll turn there really quickly. You all know where I'm going, but I'm going to read it. We want to refresh our memory. Jesus' most basic, most simple command, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That sounds a little bit like that endonomis that we were talking about, doesn't it? Inside power. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Simple command. See, Jesus called his disciples 
to be disciples in order to make more disciples. Really is that simple. It's the same calling you and I have. We aren't called to help people improve. I'm not supposed to be making you a better person. I'm not here to address social issues. There's plenty of social issues I could address right here, and sometimes I do. And that's my foolish flesh getting in the way, by the way. We all like to laugh and we like to, sometimes we enjoy that part, but that's just my flesh getting in the way. That's not what I'm called to do. See, Paul had lived out this pattern. Paul didn't get mucked down with all this garbage that was going on around. He made Timothy his disciple, and now Timothy needs to do the same thing. I'm about, I'm about to die, Timothy. Now you've got to find somebody, teach them to, because you're going to die someday too, Timothy. And you know what? I'm going to die someday. So somebody needs to pick up the stick from me. Now, these people Timothy is supposed to be working with, they aren't supposed to be any Joe Blow either. They're to be faithful, it says. The same commit thou to faithful men. Because I can waste an awful lot of time if I try to properly teach somebody who just claims to be a Christian. Even in this church right here, I could waste a lot of time, and honestly I have wasted a lot of time trying to teach some people who have sat in this pew, in this church. We need to focus on ones who are going to really shine as examples. Timothy, these things that you've heard from me, pass on to faithful men. Don't waste your time with every single, don't try to teach every single person, because you haven't got time for it, Timothy. They need to be faithful to the instruction that they receive. Not simply for their own benefit, but that they might be qualified to teach others as well. The Greek word for able here. Who are able. It's hykonos. It means up to the task. Timothy, make sure you're teaching somebody who's up to the task. Somebody who's competent because otherwise you're wasting time. If I spend too much time training somebody who's never going to be competent, never going to be able to, never going to do anything with it, then I'm wasting my time. I'm just spinning my wheels. And I don't have time for that. I believe we're running out of time, all of us, every single one of us. I believe this world is spiraling downhill. Paul believed it was in his day. We're a lot closer to it now. I haven't got time to be wasting time. See, these are some pretty strong words from Paul to Timothy, but they're very, very important. And I think they're very timely for you and I today, don't you? Mind if I close in a word of prayer?